Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready today, we have special guest Matthew Petit, who will be teaching in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 32. The title of this sermon is, Yet Even Now. Here's the second half of this three-part study. And so when Christ comes in and, and pays that ultimate sacrifice on the cross, it's, it's God clearing our debt, God paying the bond to free us from sin. And so that's a beautiful thing what the law does. It, it reveals evil, but it, once again, right, the Lord's execution of his justice is justified, but his justice is always leading us towards somewhere. It's either to experience his mercy or his wrath. And so in our second point, we're going to look at the Lord, how he provides this opportunity of mercy. Because he's always going to give us an opportunity. Always give us a way out. An opportunity to experience his mercy, restoration, and transformation. And so the Lord remains merciful as he um, provides mercy to a genuine heart of repentance. A genuine heart of repentance. So as we go into verse 12 as the Lord, and this is what it looks like returning to the Lord with a genuine heart, as he says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will uh, turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. The mercy of God can be explained in, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, as it says this, right? The Lord passed before him, speaking about Moses, right? And proclaimed to him, the Lord, the Lord, a God, uh, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who by no means clear uh, the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers or the children's or the children's children's or to the third and the fourth generation. I love this because it explains about God's mercy, God's love and, and clearing iniquity, forgiving transgressions and sin and how it's an individual thing that must take place in our own life. He goes at the end, right? He tells him, you know, just because your father's forgiven doesn't mean you're forgiven. It's something, it's an individual choice we all must make. It's, it's a personal decision. And we have to look within ourselves first, you know, and it's such an important thing. Because sometimes we get so caught up on another person's um, relationship with God when God's calling for us to focus on us and him. 
Because no matter titles, no matter covenants, no matter anything, it's between us and God, that relationship. It's you and him. At the end of the day, when you're standing before the Lord, it's just you and him. And, and what you've done in your life and what you've been faithful for and, and given to him, it's we have to answer ourselves. And so, and I love verses 12 and 14, because when you read it in light of what we just read earlier, right? This day of wrath, nothing escaping it, your face growing pale, anguish. How beautiful are those words, yet even now. Return to me. And he tells them in this, he tells them, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, rend your hearts and not your garment. When he talks about fasting, weeping, and mourning, those are all characteristics of true repentance, true characteristics of repentance. Fasting, what is fasting? Fasting is literally you. It's a personal thing between you and God, and it's literally killing your body appetites. It's literally you giving up something to the Lord, and it's giving up something that's going to cost you. It's easy to say I'm get off of social media. We can all do that. But when it comes into fasting and, and it's something individual, you know, it's something that it's, it's going to cost you to not have a part of your daily life. And it's something that you're giving up to the Lord and saying, Lord, you're taking this because I want to grow closer to your heart. I want to I hear your voice. I'm trying to get in tune with you. And what that does is literally killing our body appetites. But then when he talks about weeping and mourning, Israel was known for their weeping and mourning, right? You read about it in the New Testament, right? They, were, they would pay people. There were professional wailers to come into your funeral because the more wailing you had, the more highly respected you were. And so there was all these, it's, it's just a show, right? But what he tells them to really cut through that, to cut through all the show, the glitz and the grammar, because just because you're fasting, weeping, and mourning doesn't really mean you're truly repentive. Those are all just, just activities that you can do. But without a heart that's truly rendered to the Lord, and that word render is like giving me your all. It's like laying it out, returning to me, rendering your heart. When you're, you're giving it over, that's more important than rendering your garments. And what he's talking about there is your show, your glitz, your glamour, that means nothing to me because your heart isn't in it. And so... Yet, even in judgment, here's a key point here. God leads us and calls us to an opportunity of mercy. There's always an opportunity of mercy. There's always grace that he gives. And he calls them to urgently repent, fast, and pray. In verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, uh, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. And then he says in verse 16, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nation. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? I love this because, again, blow the trumpet right it's alerting it's an urgent warning that he's given them and now the warning and urgency is hey the day of the lord is near now turn to me and consecrate a fast and a solemn assembly the word consecrate it's a it's a big word but all it means is just set apart when i when i read that word i was tripping up on it i was concrete consecrate i was like but it just means to set apart right that's all the word means it's just set apart and so he's telling them to set apart 
uh, or consecrate, set apart a fast, a whole assembly, set apart the congregation, the elders, the children, the nursing infants, even the bridegroom. This fast and repentance, it's important to understand. He's telling them everybody in the land, it don't matter your title, it don't matter your age, it don't matter what part of life you're in. Because when he talks about let the bridegroom leave his chamber and the bride her chamber, that's a big deal in in the in in Israel with their marriages. Like that was that's a crazy thing to break. Like th- that was tradition and that's something important, but what he's talking about here is this repentance and this turning away and this turning back to me should affect every part of your life when it comes to understanding that God's judgment is upon you when God's going to deal with his business and deal what he needs to deal with, when it comes time for an opportunity to turn to get right with God, it should affect every part of your life. There's no in between of that. And then he calls them to the priest and them, like the ministers of the Lord, the church, the people, get right and start praying. And I like how he's like, don't, y'all already know what you should be doing. And he tells them to pray and, and ask and intercede for the people. And so that goes for us. Is like, not only is the people of the Lord, like we are called to get right and be right with him, but man, when it comes to time to do business with the Lord, we do business with the Lord. And we go and we intercede and we get right. And so why is a genuine heart of repentance so important? Remember, because he talks about don't rend your garments to me, rend your heart. It's all about your heart's motive when it comes to repentance. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, I love this verse because... It's simple. For where your, uh, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus went on to call out the Pharisees in Matthew 15, verses 7 and uh, 9. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah did well to prophesy of you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far, their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commands of men where your heart is is where your treasure is and when it came and when you look at israel where their heart was during this time there was a moment there was a season where their heart was was to the lord it was near the lord but a lot of times what they began to get distracted with and a lot of where their pitfalls came from was their heart started being stored up in their treasure and what they had They started worshiping the blessing and not the provider, the one who gave them. And they were so fixated on maintaining the blessing. And 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 that's why they were worshiping Baal, Asherah, all these gods, even with Baal worship, with them literally sacrificing their children onto the altar. That was in hopes of them maintaining wealth and family fortune for generations. And you see how much so much of today that happens, the same thing with with abortion and how much of a lot of what that comes from is inconvenience for me continuing on in life and me prospering in life it's all self-focused it's all me myself and I and it's still a practice that happens today (laughs) there's nothing new under the sun the bible says and you see this here because where your heart is is wherever your treasure is so whatever you're treasuring whatever you valuable that's where your heart's devotion is at that's where you're putting your time, your talent, and your treasure in. Because whether we're made to worship, we're made to worship. And worshiping isn't just singing a song. Worshiping is what you do with your time, your talent, and your treasure. 
And a lot of us, like, I know for me, when it came time to do my sin, man, I was a great worshiper. Whenever it came time for me to fulfill that desire, to go to that place and, and to do what I needed to do, we're great at it. That's why, you know, when people say, you know what, I, I won't make a great Christian, I won't make a great follower of God, that isn't true. You have all the characteristics, but wherever your treasure is, whatever you value, whatever you are wanting to place your time, your talent, your treasure in, you're making a great worshiper. It's just whether you're doing it with God or not, because we're, we're inherently made to worship something, and we all have, you know, it's so easy for us to have idols in our life, and an idol is, is not a little thing that we pray to. Sometimes it may be, you got to get rid of that, opening up doors and stuff. But in, what it is, at the end of the day, is something that is taking the place of God in your life. And it, can, it comes in many forms. And so when you look at that, it's, it's, it's literally looking at, man, if God were to take this away, would I still continue in my faith? Would it not affect me in my journey? Because at the end of the day, it goes back to it's us and the Lord. And so, again, when it comes to a genuine heart of repentance, God is looking at the heart when it comes time for us to get right. He's not looking at your lip service. He's not looking at your works that you're doing. He's looking at where your heart is. And so repentance, uh, which a genuine heart will bear fruit, which is accompanied by good works. And so the Lord begins pouring out his mercy, and we're going to make some, um, some time here to move quickly. Uh, as verse 18 says, then the Lord became jealous for his land, right? And had pity for his people. And the Lord answered his people and said, behold, I am sending you grain, wine, oil that you will be satisfied. And I will no longer make you a reproach to the nation. What is so important about verse 18, he mentions grain, oil, and wine. And why does he mention those specific things? It's actually a callback to chapter one. Because if you look in chapter one, he says, hey, these things that you were valuing, right, that you found treasure in, your oil, your wine, your grain, because those three things were to sustain their society, right, to have an economy, to do all what they needed to do. The, the oil was used for their practices. The grain, the wine, like all those things had either they were using to worship God or pleasure themselves. And God's in chapter one saying, I'm taking all that away from you. All that's being stripped away. Because you need to focus back on me. I'm taking away that treasure because I want your heart. I don't want anything else but your heart. And I need you to be solely focused on me. And that's what God was, it was getting at to them. But now look that their heart is rendered right with back. They're right in line with God again. Look how the Lord, hey, I'm restoring those things that were taken from you. What a beautiful thing it is. I will remove the northerner from you and drive him into the uh, parched and desolate land his vanguard into the eastern sea and his uh, rear guard into the western sea. Stench and the smell fell of, uh, foul of him uh, will rise, for he has done great things. But fear not, O land, because the Lord your God has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of fields, for the pasture and the wilderness are green. The tree bears his fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you early rain for your vindication, has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. I love this because sin, sin, you reap what you sow. And there's consequences to sin. As he mentions there, there's that foul smell of him will rise because he's done great things. And that's what happens in our life. Sin robs us so much. 
It, and that's the plan of the devil to steal, kill, and destroy every good thing that he that God's trying to do in our life. That's what the devil is trying to rob from us. And sometimes when there's the consequence of sin, and it, and it's done great things, and it's but I love what he tells them. The Lord's putting their focus back on. Fear not, because be glad and rejoice for the Lord has done great things and has done greater things and is doing greater things for them here. The fig tree and the vine that was taken out has been restored. And then the rain to build up the crops, to build up the grain, to supply. The Lord is providing. The Lord is sustaining their need. And so how does God's mercy change your life? Look at Job chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. You can write that down for later. We all know the story of Job. Homeboy went through a lot of stuff, went through terrible things. But look, when everything is being torn from Job's life, what happens? Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. Then he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord give. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin and charge God with wrong. His first response, worship, turning back to the Lord. But then, more importantly, when, when these things are being taken away from Job's life, a heart whose treasure, someone whose treasure is in eternity and in the Lord will have a response like this. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see the two opposites between Israel and Job. Someone whose hearts was stored up and, and their treasure was in the Lord versus someone when all their things were taken away, were stripped down and left hopeless. Where's your treasure at? Because this is a, an important thing. In the midst of God's judgment, the mercy that God provides for us doesn't necessarily always change our circumstance when it's happening, right? When we're in this judgment, the situation is crazy. The land is desolate. It's going to take some time for the land to be built up again because of all that's, that's happened. It needs time to heal. It needs time to, to be restored. But when God provides his mercy, it doesn't necessarily change our circumstances, but it's using those circumstances to change us, to sanctify us. And that's the more important thing to understand what God is doing here. It's going to take time to restore, but God's using these things to create a change in our heart. And so he continues on. Uh, restoring uh, the year, a blessing that were destroyed by the locusts. As, and this is another beautiful verse here. As it says um, in verse 24, the threshing floor shall be uh, full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyed, the cutter, my great army, which I send among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. I will praise um, the praise the name of the Lord who has dealt with you wondrously, and my people shall never be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of the land, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never be put to shame again. And I love um, that phrase. He's, the years that the locust stored you, stole from you, I will restore. And I love what Spurgeon said about this. You can't, when time is gone, time is gone. Those are, it's gone. There's no time. Time can't be added. Um, when it's gone, it's gone. But what, what God is getting at here is the years of blessing, the years that, that sin and the devil robbed from you, I will restore that blessing to you. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing because 
what's happening in the process of registration is what we learn about with the story of Joseph, right? In Genesis 15, verse 20. Um, as for you, you meant evil against me, Job, or Joseph talking to his brothers, right? But God meant it for good to bring about many people that should be kept alive, for they are today. And we know Romans 8, 28, uh, for those who love God, all things work together. And for those who are called to his purpose, and I love what's happening in restoration is, you know, because evil and sin in this world is, is a part of this world because, because of sin. And a lot of the times it's self-inflicted. We fall for the traps of the devil, and it robs us. And, and again, the prince and the ruler of this world is the devil. And when it comes to sin and these things, like God has no part, like no part of sin, when he tells them, like, even when they were worshiping these gods, God's like, I never thought to conceive to ask you to do such a horrific thing. But what God's doing when, when we experience evil and sin is he's trying to turn it around for our for good. And that's what happens in, in when he's restoring things in our life. He's trying to turn that evil and turn those things into good. And that's why it's so important, like, we all have a testimony to give of what the Lord has done. That's why in, in the Old Testament, they would build up remembrance, like remember what God did here. And that's what the Lord is trying to do in each one of our lives is, hey, the evil, the sin, things that were robbed in your life, I'm, I'm trying to turn it around for good. And so the process of restoration occurs within us when we be, begin relying upon the Lord, the creator, the provider, instead of the blessing or material ob objects which could be destroyed. And so we'll end here on our, on our third point. Um, which is the Lord empowers by his spirit. And it's so important because you can be restored, you can be transformed, but how do you sustain and maintain that? It's only by his spirit. It's only by the Lord. That's why he sent his spirit, uh, the one who comes alongside, the counselor, uh, and, and just everything that it, Jesus said, it's better that I leave and I send my helper. Because he's with you to the end of the ages. And so, and he tells them, hey, this is the most beautiful part about this is right. Hey, judgment's coming. Get right with me. But I'm here to sustain you and to keep you on this path. As he says in verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You and your old man shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit. And so, what is the indwelling and the out, outpouring of the Holy Spirit within our lives? We know Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it tells us that when we were saved, when we were born again, that we were sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so now the Spirit dwells within us. And again, the Holy Spirit, His job is the one to, to come alongside of us. That's why it's important when we enter the, like when we're studying the Word of God, reading the Word of God, we ask for wisdom and understanding because that's the job of the Holy Spirit to, to help us do that because without it, it could, be, it could be rough sometimes. But that's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's working inside of our lives, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the work and service that's for others. And so the easiest way to think about that is Galatians 5, verses 22 to 24, right? The fruit of the Spirit. And I love that image of the fruit of the Spirit because what is fruit meant to do, right? It's supposed to be for others when you're a fruit tree. A fruit tree doesn't take off of its own supply. 
the fruit is for others. And that's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What are you producing in your life? That's, that's the thing when, when you're reflecting is, is my time with the Spirit, what is, that, what is that producing? Or even if I'm having time with the Lord in His Word, prayer, like what is that producing? It's supposed to outflow from us, not meant to be kept from ourselves. And, and you think about a fruit tree, yes, it's to bear fruit. But how does it bear fruit when it's in good soil? When it's, when it's like, when it talks about in Psalm 1, right, that tree planted by the water, right, or Psalm 5. But when it, it's streams of living water, that's what's sustaining it. Because whether the seasons change, the scorching wind, the heat, whatever, the winter, it remains the same because it's near that source. So that's what's so important for the outpouring of the Spirit. And so the Lord promises us, right, that He will pour out His Spirit in this latter generation and then signs and wonders of the last days. And so what he's talking here, again, immediate fulfillment, right? And we know ultimately the Lord poured out his spirit during that time. We know about it when in Acts chapter 2, when it goes down in the upper room, and then they go out and Peter gives the first sermon. He actually quotes this scripture and the birth of the church starts as 3,000 get saved that day and it goes down. But then ultimately, we're living in this scripture in this day and age. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 